I have used a lot of commerce platforms in the past. By far, the most robust is Shopify. No matter how complex your business needs and no matter how large your business grows, Shopify can handle it. And they do handle it for brands like Rothy's, Ruggable, Allbirds, Knox, Magnolia, Brooklinen, Glossier, and Cotton, to name a few. You may already use another e-commerce platform and you may be super unhappy with it, but you've already put a lot of work into it and migrating to Shopify could seem impossible. But I'm here to tell you that it is quite easy. When I migrated to Shopify back in 2022, their apps and tools meant I just had to make a few clicks and everything was ported over as if by magic. Shopify also lets you design your storefront however you like, which from personal experience I know isn't the case for many other commerce platforms out there. All these features and all this control can result in more sales more often. So stop leaving sales on the table, switch your business to Shopify today, and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their businesses. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial at shopify.com forward slash practical, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com forward slash practical, shopify.com forward slash practical. Hi there, Prakavtan. Welcome back to Practical Stoicism, the podcast that tries to make the ancient teachings of the Stoics a bit more approachable and practical so you might have a less difficult time adopting it in your own life. Today we're going through Meditation 8 from Book 5, which reads as follows. We commonly say Asclepius ordered a man horse exercise, cold baths, or no shoes. And similarly, we might say Universal nature ordered him sickness, disablement, loss, or some other affliction. In the former phrase, ordered virtually means laid this down for him as appropriate to health. In the latter, what benefits every man has been laid down for him as appropriate to the natural order. So too we say things benefit us as workmen talk of squared blocks fitting in walls or pyramids, bonding with one another in a definite structure. For in the whole of things there is one connecting harmony. And as out of all material bodies the world is made perfect into a connected body, so out of all causes the order of nature is made perfect into one connected cause. Even quite simple folk have in their minds what I am saying, for they use the phrase, it was sent to him, and so this was sent to him. That is, this was ordered for him. Accordingly, let us accept these orders as we might accept what Asclepius orders. Many of them, too, are assuredly severe, yet we welcome them in hopes of health. Let the performance and completion of the pleasure of the universal nature seem to you to be your pleasure, precisely as the conduct of your health is seen to be, and so welcome all that comes to pass, even though it appears rather cruel, because it leads to that end to the health of the universe, that is, to the welfare and all beings of Zeus. For he would not send this to one if it were not to the well-being of the whole. No more than any living principle you may choose sends anything which is not appropriate to what it is governed by. Thus there are two reasons why you must be content with what happens to you. First, because it was for you it came to pass. For you it was ordered, and to you it was related a thread of destiny stretching back to the most ancient causes. Secondly, because that which has come to each individually is a cause of the welfare and the completion 
and in very truth of the actual continuance of that which governs the whole. For the perfect whole is mutilated if you sever the least part of the contact and continuity alike of its causes as of its members. And you do this so far as in you lies, whenever you are disaffected, and in a measure you are destroying it. All right, this one was a little tough, but let's see what we can take away from it. First, it's probably important to tell you who Asclepius is. Asclepius, if memory serves, is one of a few who were taught and trained by the centaur Chiron. He is both a hero and, as it turns out, a god. And while his fellow classmates included people like Hercules and Achilles, yes, really, he was never strong. Instead, his gift was the power of healing and medical knowledge. So if we're going to listen to, essentially, medical advice from the gods, or as it happens, from any doctor of medicine in the non-supernatural sense, we should also listen to the prescriptions, as it were, of nature, as all medicine arises from and is made possible by nature in the first place, and what advice is it, in particular, that we are getting in this meditation. Well, it's not particularly accessible or practical advice on the surface, is it? It would seem at first that Marcus is suggesting that if you get cancer, for example, you just need to learn to love that diagnosis because cancer arose from nature and so it was, in a way, prescribed to you. And if that's the case, guess what? You dying of cancer is in the best interest of the universe and thereby the whole. This is extremely difficult to process for anyone sensitive to the typical religious refrain of God has a plan, trust in God, which is, to be fair, quite a lot of people. No one likes to be told that God has a plan while lying in agonizing pain in a hospital bed because, quite frankly, that information doesn't readily seem particularly helpful in regards to the fact that you're suffering in the non-Stoic sense. So Marcus here is coming on a bit strong, but let's remember that he's talking to himself, not us. Meditations is a personal journal, not a work intended for public consumption. And that alone may help to soothe the sting of an obnoxiously preachy Marcus, because he's not preaching, he's talking to himself. Now let's ask whether or not there is any validity in this way of viewing a terribly painful illness, for example. That is going to depend on you, but I think there is. Bear with me, and I will try to explain it in a less preachy way than Marcus has. When these things happen to us, whatever these things are, in this case, cancer, they are the result of a sequence of events that absolutely were set into motion at the point of creation. However you view creation as having happened, everything results in some capacity back to that moment. The connections might seem tenuous at times, but yes, 100% of everything that has happened in the past is what leads to the future, or what has led to the future. Big Bang, Pangea, dinosaurs, meteors, all those things. Reality is what it is, because the past is what it was. That's how it works. So if I get cancer, it does have something to do with the past, and the past, in this case, is all past time. So the seemingly mystical conclusion that everything is related by, quote, a thread of destiny stretching back to the most ancient causes, end quote, is not mystical so much as it's factual. But that doesn't make this pill any easier to swallow because I am still lying in a hospital bed with, let's change the example from cancer to something a little less dramatic, third degree burns, and I am in so much pain that I cannot think. 
So my condition, so my condition having ancient roots is kind of, if not absolutely, useless information from the practical application standpoint. If Zeno passing gas after lunch one afternoon led to me getting burned in a fire, that's very interesting and certainly worth a chuckle, but completely without any practical value in the moment. What about this idea that the thing that has happened to us is in the best interest of the universe and we should therefore, at the very least, accept it as being beneficial to the whole, even if it is miserable for us, subjectively speaking? I really struggle with this, and you probably do too, but I will tell you why I struggle with it. I feel that human beings completely subvert nature. I think that our nature is, in its entirety, unnatural. I don't feel that it's in a human being's nature to be good, because if it were in our nature, we'd simply do it the same way a honeybee makes honey without choosing to do so. I think consciousness messes all of that up, and that nature cannot consider us in its processes specifically because we have abnormal consciousness. So I don't think nature orders things for us. I think our abnormal consciousness has created a subjective world full of considerations that nature could never and would never intentionally order. Incidentally, this is why I think trying our best to work against our nature, to use our abnormal consciousness as a tool to override what that abnormal consciousness finds us so frequently doing, working in the best interests of practically nothing, is so important. In my opinion, what would be our nature if we did not have this special form of consciousness is rendered cancerous by this special form of consciousness that we have. And we can either use that consciousness to work against that problem or we cannot. So I don't personally find a lot of benefit in the idea that what happens to us has anything at all to do with what nature feels is in its own best interest because I think our consciousness retards nature's explicit control over us. And that only leaves me with one takeaway from this meditation. And we've talked a little bit about this before. Fate can be embraced and leveraged or not. If I'm lying in a hospital bed with third-degree burns or some sort of terrible cancer or some other ailment that causes physical pain and, perhaps, lifelong discomfort, I'm not going to find any comfort in the ancient origins of this outcome, nor in the idea that my situation is in the best interests of the universe. Instead, what I'll find comfort in is the idea that this condition I find myself in is the condition I find myself in. It cannot be changed by crying, lamenting, praying, or feeling sorry for myself. It cannot be changed by anything save, perhaps, modern medicine, dumb luck, and those are not things I can make happen or choose or control. So my only options are to lament that which I cannot control or accept my position and look for slack in the rope tying me to my cart to reference that old dog and the cart analogy, which at this point you should be well familiar with. My gratitude, if you'd like to think of it that way, my comfort comes in thinking about what power of choice still exists in spite of my situation. I'm in pain, but I can still speak. So how will I use my words? And what benefit will those words bring? Do I use my words to moan and wail and damn the gods and my unfortunate lot in life? Or do I use them to create a friendship, to teach a stranger, or to converse with family about why I love them? 
So from this meditation, here are the takeaways I have for you. First, life happens. And when it happens, it is true that it happens as a result of many previous events and a myriad of various conditions and states. You shouldn't feel targeted and you shouldn't feel punished. You should feel nothing like that. Second, nature may benefit by your suffering, but I doubt this seriously. If you want to believe it, you can. I think many Stoic academics will disagree with me on this point, but I don't feel that phrasing your suffering, or rather framing your suffering, as a gift to the universe is a particularly useful or true framing. And lastly, the thing I think really does help us to endure suffering and difficulty is a willingness to see the flexibility that remains in spite of our situation and believing that making the most of that flexibility is important and ultimately far more in service to nature, the universe, society, and yourself than anything else. I'd like to thank you for listening to today's episode of Practical Stoicism. I appreciate you making the time to be here. If you have a moment and you haven't already, you can review us on Spotify Podcasts if you like, or on Apple Podcasts if that's where you happen to listen. Kai and myself would really appreciate that because it helps us to know, you know, what the public barometer of our performance is. It's nice to see those five-star reviews, and in the rare instances we've gotten one-star reviews, it's sometimes nice to know what that negative critical feedback is. Though please, don't give us a one-star review unless you really think we deserve it. We work pretty hard around here. Thank you again for listening, and until next time, take care. Take care.